0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, Today we're going to move back into the world of philosophy. And as I mentioned the last time we talked about philosophy, today we're going to be going into Descartes. Uh, We did um, Francis Bacon last time. Uh, Descartes is also known to be big in the foundations of science as well as uh, Bacon. Uh, Descartes is known for a couple of ideas in science. Um, One of them is the idea of mechanism. Uh, This is the idea that um, organisms like animals and uh, uh, plants function like uh, machines. And this is actually something pretty amazing if you think about it, because the nature of machinery would have been pretty primitive in the time of Descartes. But he was able to even kind of get the idea that, you know, these are things that are like machines. Um, Obviously, in Descartes' mind, they're made by something much more... Uh, intelligent than human beings. They're made by much better craftsmen. Uh, Descartes, like Bacon, is not an atheist. Uh, Descartes is firmly in the Christian tradition. Uh, He's not someone who embraces science as a way of disproving God. Um, He embraces science much the same way Bacon did uh, for more practical reasons. Uh, Descartes is also known for his contributions to mathematics. Um, if you've ever had to do Cartesian coordinates, uh, these are basically from Descartes. Uh, Descartes was one of the first mathematicians to see connections between geometry and algebra and to sort of put those, start putting those two disciplines together. So Descartes is actually important in several fields outside of just philosophy. And this is something that you see a lot with a lot of these Earlier thinkers and with a lot of these philosophers in general. Um, they're not just philosophers. With Francis Bacon, he was also a scientist, he was also a politician, um, you know, and, and this is something that is very much a part of who these people are. You have to remember this is a very different cultural system. Uh, we're still in very much the class system where you have the upper classes, and these people were educated to be. The upper classes. Now, Descartes, when he's trying to build all of these things, one of the things that concerns him the most is Descartes wants to build things from a ground of absolute certainty. And so he takes the notion in his head that in order to do this, you have to sometimes get rid of all of the ways you've been thinking in the past. Uh, Descartes actually lived in other countries for about nine years and looked at the ways other people thought and, you know, lived and sort of used that to examine his own culture and the way he was raised. One of the things that he was trying to do was he was trying to figure out, you know, how many of the things that he were he had been taught in his culture were simply things that only pertain to his particular culture. And with living with the different cultures, he kind of got the understanding that, Different cultures can do things different ways. And so this kind of sets up the idea that you need to start questioning because what parts of uh, what we believe, what parts of what we're doing are on solid foundation and what parts are pretty much just cultural and not really based on anything solid whatsoever. So in Descartes' Meditations on First Philosophy, uh, which he breaks into uh five sections, um, he starts to, uh, I'm sorry, six sections, uh, he starts to try to look at um, where he can ground all of his knowledge. Uh, In the first meditation, he starts looking for a foundation and starts wondering what the sources uh, of certainty could be. And he starts thinking about dreams and being awake, and sort of talks about these two as when you're in the middle of a dream, you have a feeling that everything is real, um, even though afterwards, when you look back on it and see that it's just a dream, you realize that these things were just made up in your head. But your senses and your mind are fooled at the time into thinking these things are real. And he starts to question when he's awake as well and starts to wonder how much of you know what's going on when I'm awake is also up for... Debate is also questionable and can be doubted, and so he starts to realize that you know everything is not as certain as it seems. Uh, this might sound a little similar to what Bacon was talking about with his idols, uh, with his four idols, where you know Bacon was trying to figure out what types of things would lead humans astray. Descartes is on a similar path with this. Um, Descartes looks at things and realizes that his senses even when he's awake, could be fooled. And he starts to try to think about things that um, are not dependent on his senses, to try to look for a foundation. And the one thing he comes up with is arithmetic. You know, two plus two equals four. Um, this is something that is true uh, regardless of of what your uh, opinion is of it. This is true to all people who understand mathematics. This is not something that is uncertain. This is not something where you might add two and two at one point and come up with 12. Uh, This will always give you the same answer, no matter who does it. And he sees that this is not dependent on experience. And so he starts to think about maybe mathematical things uh, as being a ground of certainty. But he wants to take doubt to the extreme. And he wants to imagine that there's some kind of demon that's putting all of these false images into his head um, that that is deceiving him intentionally. And so he realizes if there is an omnipotent being, a being that is all-powerful, knows everything, uh, this being would even be able to fool Descartes when it comes to mathematics. And so he sees that even that is something that could be doubted. Now when you go into the second meditation this is where you start to get uh, a little bit more of what he's known for so he realizes he can doubt all of his senses these things outside of him may or may not be real Uh, the the table in front of him may or may not be there he could just be fooled by an evil demon who's making him think there's a table there mathematics um He could be fooled in that, and the principles of mathematics may not be real, even though they seem logical in his head. So he starts to look for what is the one thing that I cannot doubt, and he realizes when he hits on doubt that that's it, because no matter what he's thinking, whether he's believing or whether he's doubting, he's still thinking, and if there's something that is doubting, there is something that exists. Um, If there's something that's thinking, there's something that exists. You can't fool him into um, thinking. You can't fool him into doubting that he's thinking, because as soon as he doubts, that's a form of thought. So he realizes that thinking is the ground he can base everything on. Uh, And this is where you get his famous, I think, therefore I am. Kajito Ergo Sum. Um, this is his basis from which he's going to build all of his other knowledge, uh, because this is the one thing that he cannot doubt because in the act of doubting it, he proves that his existence is in the next meditation. The third one, <clears throat> one of the things that he tries to prove is the existence of God. Um, he, he wants to prove that God exists, that God is. And some of the arguments he comes up with, his first set of arguments for the existence of God, is that you can't have something come from nothing. Everything has to be caused by something. Everything has to be from somewhere. Uh, The second argument, the second statement in this argument is that the cause of an idea must at least be as real as the idea. In other words, whatever causes the idea must at least have as reality as much reality as the idea that it causes. Um, for example, um, the idea of a stone is not as real as a stone. A stone has to have at least as much reality as the idea of a stone in order to cause that idea. Uh, the third part of this argument, first argument, is that he has an idea of God. He has an idea that God is infinite. Um, He's infinitely good, he's infinitely powerful, he's infinitely uh, wise, he sees everything. And since he's already said that the cause must at least be as uh, powerful as the idea, must have as much reality at least, um, then there must be this creature that caused this idea because Descartes knows he's not infinite. And so something that caused an idea of infinite has to be infinite. Um, there cannot be something less than that, which causes that idea. Um, so God, in his opinion, must exist. Uh, And he believes that God must have absolutely perfect being in order to be infinite. Uh, And being good, perfect being, means that he's good. And if he's good, that means that he's benevolent. Um, And if he's benevolent, he would not be a deceiver. Uh, He would not deceive humans intentionally without giving them ways to correct that deception. So he therefore argues that God must exist on these grounds. He also comes up with a second argument in this meditation for the existence of God. His first statement is, I exist. He already proved that he exists based on his cogito cogito ergo sum, uh, I think, therefore I am. So since he's already established that he exists, his second idea is, something must have caused me where did I come from? Um, And the possible answers to that, the first one he lists is himself. Maybe I caused myself. The second one he uh, lists is perhaps I've always existed. Um, The third argument or the third possibility I should say he comes up with is that his parents caused him to exist. Um, The fourth argument is that something less then God caused him to exist. And the final arg- or final possibility is that God caused him to exist. And then he goes through each one of them and disproves them. He says, not the first one, um, because if I had made myself and I had the ideas of infinite and perfect, I would have made myself perfect. And he didn't make himself perfect. So he dismisses the idea that he created himself. Um, if he always existed um something since he didn't create himself something would have to have created him and sustained his existence uh his existence can't be dependent on himself because he is not the creator of himself now this argument is a little bit far fetched but that's the argument he came up with uh the third argument against the being created by parents is that in his mind it creates an infinite regress that means, well, who created them? Well, who created them? Well, who created them? And eventually, this would go on; would have to go on forever. They would have always had to have been people, and they would have all, and you could never get to the first ones. Um, that's what he means by an infinite regress. There would always have to be parents of the parents of the parents of the parents uh, for eternity, um, and. His argument against something less than God created him is that something less than perfect could not create the idea of perfect. Uh, Therefore, he says uh, it has to be the final one and he has to have been created by God. Now in the next meditation, um, he uh, wants to see if uh, God exists and if so, what is the cause of error and falsehood? You know, what is, what is, what is it that leads people into these things? Uh, and this is a problem if God exists and God is perfect and uh, God is not a deceiver. Uh, and so he sort of postulates the idea that if God is perfect and is everything, there's an opposite that is uh, completely flawed and nothing. And he sees humans as being situated in between these two extremes. So you have God who is everything and perfect on one end of the spectrum. And you have something that is the opposite of God and uh, nothingness on the other end of the spectrum. And somewhere in between are human beings. And because we're somewhere in between, we're not able to see everything that God sees. We're not able to see the whole picture. We have an incomplete view of what's going on. Um, we are only able to see what our small minds and our small perceptions allow us to see. You know, This is one of the things that Descartes had sort of gone into in earlier works. He doesn't come out and say, I'm a super genius, smarter than everyone else. He sees himself as being very much human and very much... Uh, able to be wrong, just as everyone else. He sees that there are people who know more in some areas than he do, than he does. I'm sorry, uh, people who know more in other areas than he does. And so we have him with this position of he knows he's not perfect, and so he realizes he doesn't see the bigger picture. Now, the other argument that he brings in is an argument about free will. Uh, the will is... Uh, sort of a perfect creation. But it's perfect in that it, is, uh, it contains both the good and the bad. It is a will that doesn't have a direction. It is a will that just will do, that will push to do. Uh, and this means the will can push into error or it can push into uh, the truth. And so since we have this will, this free will, we're able to use it one way or the other. We're or or able to use it to find the truth and follow the truth, or we're able to use it to sort of block out the truth and embrace the opposite direction. Uh, so he's sort of setting up the failures of... Uh, Humanity, kind of giving a reason for that. You know, this is one of the big arguments in theology: if God is perfect and God is loving, why is there suffering in the world? And this is one of the earlier arguments of, well, why is there suffering? And it has to do with free will and the ability to choose things that are not for the best. <clears throat> uh, in the meditation number five, uh, he wants to get to what is the essence of material things. But he sort of gets sidetracked and goes back into another uh, proof for the existence of God. Um, he wants to see if, uh, if there's a clear idea of uh, things based on the existence of God. Uh, and so he goes back into another discussion about uh, the proofs of the existence of God. And in these proofs, he starts to talk about geometry. This is where he kind of goes off track a little bit because he's comparing the truths of and the perfections of geometry and mathematics to the perfections of God. And he talks about things like triangles. Um, Things like triangles cannot be imagined differently. Triangles always have three sides. Triangles... If you measure their internal angles and add them together, they will always add up to 180 degrees. Um, These are things that are certain, regardless of who thinks these thoughts, regardless of how often you think these thoughts. um, These will be always the same. And so this perfection in mathematics, he then transfers to God. And he kind of takes on an argument that St. Anselm um, formulated. That God is uh, infinitely perfect, Uh, and that perfection, part of perfection, includes existence. Uh, This is what's known as the ontological argument. Uh, The ontological argument is that if God is perfect, he has to contain everything that is perfect. And one of the things that makes you perfect is the fact that you exist. So since God contains all perfections, Existence is one of them. And so he says, therefore, God exists. Um, The next section, the last section of this, he kind of goes into um, sort of trying to then get to the rest of the world and and explain how the rest of the world can be explained. Uh, One of the arguments that he gives is that objects exist because God can make them. Um, And Since God is not a deceiver, um, we have lots of proofs through the senses that these these things exist. And he wouldn't give us all of these proofs if these things didn't actually exist. And so our um, connection to the world starts to be uh, re-established this way. Um, God has the ability to create ideas. Uh, the ideas of mathematics; um, therefore, we're able to understand the ideas. These are things out of the the mind of God. Now, one of the things that uh, is criticized about Descartes fairly early in um, it, and it's criticized from two different angles. One, he's criticized as being an atheist, and then on the other side, he's criticized for. Um, making his proofs dependent on the existence of God. So he kind of gets it from both directions on this. One of the problems with this is that, as with any of the proofs of the existence of God, uh, as you kind of look at them more closely, you realize they fall apart. You know, these are based on, a lot of this is wishful thinking. Uh, Descartes doesn't believe that we can imagine things greater than what exist. And so he's kind of dismissed the faculty that we have of exaggeration. Uh, this is this sort of counters the idea that for something to exist, or for an idea to exist, whatever created that idea must be greater than the idea. Well, humans have the ability to exaggerate. Um, so we can imagine what good is. So we can exaggerate that to perfectly good. We can imagine what strong means. So we can exaggerate that to, you know, infinitely strong. Uh, We have that ability to exaggerate. Uh, He goes into this with, you know, a little bit earlier with talking about mythological creatures and how we can construct mythological creatures that have the head of a lion and the, you know, the body of another animal and the tail of a snake and things like this. And we're basically just grabbing features out of the things in the real world and putting them together. One of the arguments that's made against all of these arguments from Descartes is that he's basically done the same thing. He's taken ideas of goodness, wisdom, strength, and just kind of exaggerated them. Created things that we've already experienced and then exaggerated them. And this creates a real problem For anyone that wants to follow Descartes and say, this is the solid foundation of knowledge. This is why Descartes keeps going back to these proofs of the existence of God. Because without those, he's trapped. You know, once he's gotten to, I think, therefore I am, there is absolutely no way to go beyond that without the existence of God. Everything you go beyond that is a leap, And there's no way to ensure that those leaps are correct. Uh, It may be that, yes, we do think, um, but that may be all we are. We're just a mental entity with no body. There is no physical reality. There's only thinking. There's only this mental entity that thinks Um, without a perfect and loving and a benevolent God, there is no way to get from, I think, therefore I am, to the rest of the universe. And this is why Descartes is so important in philosophy, because after Descartes, like after Plato, you have a lot of philosophers that are kind of lining up on one side or the other. You have some philosophers that are lining up and saying reality is completely unknowable. There's no way we can know anything. Once we get past I think, therefore, I am, we're done. Everything else could be an illusion. And then you have philosophers on the other side who are trying to find other ways of proving that what is real is real. And so Descartes, kind of after Descartes, depending on the camp that people go into, you have two real main camps, the idealists and the empiricists. Um will determine which direction they go. The idealists are people who think the world is ideas. And we'll get into uh, Bishop Barclay and talk about him a little bit uh, coming up in a in a future episode where Barclay sees everything is just ideas and there's nothing else that exists outside of ideas. And then you have the empiricists who believe that everything that is real is based on what our senses tell us. Uh, The only access we have to the world is through our empirical senses, through data, through things like that. And so you kind of have these divisions in philosophy that come out. And really Descartes is kind of a focal point of these divisions. And that's why I wanted to go into him and kind of cover these a little bit. Now we will in future seasons uh, come back to Descartes and talk about some of his other Elements of his philosophy. Um, But I felt that this one was important because it kind of sets up a lot of the major issues that a lot of the philosophers will be discussing coming up. uh, We'll all get into. Okay, Uh, I hope all of you are doing well. I hope you're staying safe. And I will talk to you all again soon. Have a good day.